You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. here and uh, we're glad you're here. We're going through the book of 1 Peter. So um, we have been looking at the way Peter describes us as uh, elect exiles. Uh, That's his term for it. That um, we are people uh, kind of from another world, if you will, uh, living as sojourners, uh, aliens and strangers, immigrants, so to speak, in this land. And uh, so he spent a lot of time talking about who we are, our identity, Uh, royal priesthood, he called us, uh, a living temple, he called us. And now he's kind of pivoting from your identity to ethics. So we're moving now from who we are to how we are to live out who we are. And in particular, um, he is talking about how we interact with the state. Last week, we looked at how we're supposed to be salt and light and how we're supposed to be a deeply penetrating contrast that we go into every corner of society and we look very different from the rest of society So salt and light last week, and now this week, how do we as salt and light interact with the government, uh, with the state? And he says two very simple things. Number one, he says uh, we are to be subject to the state. That's in verse 13. Be subject uh, to every human institution. That would be the government of the United States of America, the government of North Carolina, uh, and the government of Winston-Salem. Every single authority we're supposed to be subject to. But he says in verse 16 um, that we are to live as people who are free. So it sounds like a a paradox. How can you both be subject to the government but also be free? And uh, it's this interesting combination of how we voluntarily, as a royal priesthood from a different realm as citizens of heaven, voluntarily subject ourselves and use our freedom to serve. He says not as a cover-up for evil but living servants of God. So we know, in fact, that we are not just cogs in the wheel of the great machine of uh, government, but we are free royalty, uh, priests, and we use that freedom to submit ourselves to the government. If you like the Lord of the Rings, I thought about how Aragorn is the great king. He's the king of all Middle Earth. And yet when he comes to uh, Rohan, uh, he submits himself to uh, the king of Rohan. Because even though he's the king of of everything, he's the king of Gondor, he's willing to use that royalty, that authority, and submit himself to King Theoden. That's the way we are to do things, to be subject to every human institution, but as those who are free. So those two things, submit and then submit as free agents. Uh, First of all, uh, be subject to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors, and on and on down the line. And um, 
I think what that's saying is that even though we're royal priests, uh, we are called to local politics. We are called to engage in politics. Uh, and, and not grudgingly, you know, not just knuckling under uh, the government, but um, gladly subjecting ourselves to those who are in authority over us. Um, not grumbling about the incompetence of the government or having to pay taxes, uh, but actually being gratefully involved in the, uh, in the city that we live in. So Peter is saying, you know, we're not supposed to be anti-institutional, anti-government. Uh, we, we believe in the essential goodness of the state as created by God. Um, as it says here, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So it's supposed to incentivize good behavior and limit bad behavior. The state is a good thing. We're supposed to be grateful for that. We're not supposed to just make these blanket statements of criticism about the government, whether they be on the right or the left, you know, drain the swamp, defund the police, or whatever slogans we believe that just entirely say the government's terrible. We're not to do that. We're supposed to, um, yes, critique the government appropriately, um, but to do so as someone who's engaged with it, as someone who's there to try to change the situation. So listen to what Paul says to Titus who is dealing with the uh, island of Crete. And uh, the island of Crete was a very um, anarchist kind of place. It was, the government was very corrupt. Um, it, would have, um, it would have been a very hard place to submit to the government. And yet Paul says to Titus in Titus 3.1, he says, Titus, remind your people to be submissive to the rulers and authorities of Crete, to be obedient to them, to be ready for every good work. So they're supposed to be ready uh, to help whenever help is needed in the government of Crete, to speak evil of no one, to not speak evil of the government officials, uh, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Now think about the contrast of that and the way that the church is perceived by our country today and the way that we interact with politics. I mean, how much quarreling do you see going on, um, mostly uh, over just social media, but some in person. But what if the church was always very measured in her speech and known to be constructive in the way that the church talks about politics and not slandering and not binding to conspiracies? I mean, what if the church were to show perfect courtesy uh, to all people? That, that would really, you know, rewrite the way people think about the church, the narrative of the church today. Because when people look at the church, they see a lot of people being very indignant, which especially coming from the evangelical church, which has so much power and so much wealth, is very hard to take. When evangelicals complain about how we're being marginalized or persecuted, it's very hard to take that when we have all this indignation, rather than just saying we're going to honor everyone, as it says in verse 17, we're going to love the brotherhood, we're going to fear God, we're going to honor the emperor, we're going to honor the mayor, we're going to honor the governor, we're going to honor the president. I mean, how differently would the church be perceived if we were thought to be the people who really um, honor state employees? Like, even when you go into the, the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, if you were to go there and to really show honor and deference and consideration for the people there who are very overworked usually, uh, very burned out, used to dealing with really hard people, what if we went there and we were... Uh, we were encouragers. Uh, or, or just the person who's delivering your mail. 
If you were somebody uh, who you maybe even gave them a gift every now and then, really encourage that person working for the government, uh, someone who's collecting your trash, you know, just making eye contact with them, waving to them, acknowledging their humanity. I mean, what if the church was known as the people that did that kind of thing? Um, that's what Peter's saying. He's saying the government is not your enemy. The government's your friend. The government has made a lot of mistakes, obviously. In our country, we have a long history of oppression. Uh, America has uh, been um, a place that a lot of people who are minorities would not want to live. And yet, we are still continuing to call to work to help make America a better place to live for all people. Because the government is a gift of common grace to limit evil and promote good. Again, verse 14, sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So God instituted the government in order to limit the amount of destruction and devastation that humans would naturally do if we um, were living in anarchy. You know, just read Lord of the Flies. If you think that anarchy is a great thing, uh, read the Lord of the Flies. Um, it is not a good thing. The government was instituted to promote human flourishing, to praise those who do good, as Peter says. And so uh, we are to not only be grateful for the gift of government, but then to be committed as a church to taking part in that gift. And so we are also supposed to help with um, punishing those who do evil or limiting the amount of evil or dissuading people from doing evil and, and praising those who do good. As royal priests from another realm, you know, as citizens of heaven, we are called to this government of the United States and we are called to pray for her, to pray for her, for a better justice system for all people, for schools that are equal all across the county, uh, for better jobs, for more jobs. First Timothy 2, 2 says, uh, pray for those in power that we may live quiet and peaceful lives. And a lot of times I hear Christians use that prayer. You know, we, we know we're supposed to pray for those in authority, but so often I hear Christians just praying that we would be protected from the intrusion of the government into our rights. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying pray that there will be a shalom all over the country for peace. The people can live quiet and peaceful lives. And the word shalom comes from this vision of Isaiah where he sees the nations uh, beating their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, limiting violence, um, where, as Isaiah says, everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. That was George Washington's favorite verse for our country, is that every single person uh, would have their own right to their own vine, their own fig tree, and there would be no one to tyrannize them. Of course, in his day, that was not fully lived out, but over the years, we've tried to live that out more. And that is what we should pray for, that in every neighborhood in our city, uh, we pray for people to live uh, quiet, peaceful lives. Think about our churches like a great tree under the ground, spreading roots of peace through our prayers. And it's got to start with prayer. I know it can't end with prayer, but if in our prayer meetings, uh, in our prayer requests that we write down, and when we pray here together, if we could pray for our city and ask God uh, to bring shalom so that people could live uh, peaceful and quiet lives, what would that do um, for the state here? How, how much better would our government be if we would pray that way? So that's the first 
point is to submit to the state, but not just, again, not to just knuckle under, um, to grudgingly submit, but to, uh, with hope and gratitude, uh, approach the government through engagement, through constructive engagement, which, again, the church is so far from today, so far from that. And this is a call back to engage, engage. This is not our home, so we can do that. Right? This is not the place. This, is, this does not define us. We are not primarily Americans. Um, we, um, we are primarily free citizens of heaven. Which is the second point. that we, As we submit, we are not subordinate to the state. We are not a cog in the wheel of the state. But we are image bearers of the king of kings. Living as people who are free. Verse 13. Um, that means that our submission to the state is a voluntary decision. He is giving us the dignity of causality, of agency, that every one of us is a free man or a free woman. And wherever we are in the hierarchy of the state, from the president to someone in prison, um, we are all people with greater glory and greater dignity than any state that has ever existed. This is the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, for a communist, the state is more important than the individual. Uh, Because the individual only lives 70 years, whereas the state can last hundreds. But for a Christian, the individual is more important than any state. For even the Roman Empire lasted only a thousand years, whereas the individual lives forever. And so for a believer, uh, the individual is more important than any state. Uh, We are not collectivists. I would go to the jail... Sometimes uh, Jamie Dean and I would go down there. Jamie would play the guitar. I would preach. Um, and down there at the, uh, the jail, they would all wear orange jumpsuits. All, these were all, we, all, we only were with the men. And uh, the male prisoners would wear their orange jumpsuits, and they would have their ID number. They would have a number like 24601. And if you know Les Mis, you know that that was the number of Jean Valjean. And a, a large part of the... Of the uh, the, the novel by Victor Hugo, Les Miserables, is about how uh, Jean Valjean is not simply 24601. He's not simply a prisoner of the state, but he is a man of dignity. He is a man of uh, eternal worth, which you see at the end, in this, uh, as you see this vision of him in the, in the kingdom, in the new kingdom. But um, these, these prisoners would come in the worship service, and my favorite part, and I think Jamie and I both... Uh, agree with this, that it was not my sermon, because Lord of the Ring references don't work very well in prison. So my sermons didn't always play well in prison. Um, my favorite part of the worship service was when the guys got together, and they would have a time of sharing. And they would always encourage each other. Uh, they would encourage each other that they were not simply that number on their jumpsuit, that they would sing to each other, that we'd tell each other uh, who they really were in Christ. And I remember them, one of them saying that... Uh, they are more free in prison uh, than they were when they were not in prison and addicted to alcohol. That they were now a free, they were truly a free man now in prison. Paul says in in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait our king. Because uh, we are right now in this in-between time where we're, uh, we're waiting for the new administration to come in. So this is like after the election's over, before Inauguration Day, we're in that period. And we're waiting for the king's politics to come in. 
And as we wait between election day and inauguration day, waiting for the king to come, uh, we can put up with a lot of nonsense from the state. We can deal with that. We're able to do that. We can, we can wait for the king as citizens of his realm, and we can submit peacefully and engage patiently with the state. And it, it also gives us permission to say no to the state. When the state tells us to do something that the king of kings forbids, we say no to the state. Because our highest allegiance is always to the kingdom and not to America. And that's why Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. He qualifies the subjection immediately. You're doing this not for America, but for Jesus. The willing subjection, the voluntary submission is for the sake of Jesus, not to make a better America. And so when the state, when Babylon asked Daniel to bow down to an idol or to worship the emperor, he said, no, I won't do that. Let the chips fall where they may, I'm not going to do that. And when the state asked Peter to stop preaching about the king, Peter said, no, I'm willing to go to prison, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stop preaching about the kingdom of God. And so there's times where we have to say no to the state when it tells us to do things that we cannot do because the king has forbidden us to do those things. And ultimately, we do not answer to America, we answer to Jesus, we answer to the kingdom. And that's why in verse 17, the word order is very important. He says, fear God and then honor the emperor. But first fear God. Fear God, and after you fear God, then if you can, in whatever way you can, honor the emperor. Because again, God's main interest is not in the supremacy of America, but in the prosperity of the kingdom of God, and the glory of the kingdom of God. The frame that is around the whole passage is in verse 12. So if you go back to verse 12, uh, Peter is saying, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's the frame. And so the point is that we submit to our mayor, our governor, our president, our country, so that we can witness to the glory of God. Because the way we submit is supposed to silence uh, the ignorance of foolish people. And what Peter means by that, that's in verse 15, to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What Peter means by that is a lot of times um, Jesus gets linked up with politics. You know, we've all seen that. It's, it's a, a lot of young people are walking away from Jesus they're deconverting because they have seen the church so tied up with politics. And so we are, the reason that we engage with politics the way we're supposed to is in order to silence uh, the ignorance that is out there. There's so much misrepresentation of Jesus, so much misunderstanding about Jesus and how he would live in America. And so the way we interact with America is in order to, uh, to say that's not right. That's not who Jesus is. That's not the way Christians operate. That's not what the church is called to. That's not who we are. And so we, we are submitting, we are, we are subjecting our... And so that people will pledge loyalty to the kingdom of God and join him in his restoration project, which is global. A global restoration project to make all things new. To make all things new for every nation. 
I, um, I'm, I was listening to a podcast that I really like. I've mentioned it before, Theology in the Raw. Preston Sprinkle is the guy who uh, is the host, interviews people. Uh, Theology in the Raw, R-A-W. And uh, he was interviewing a guy who was talking about this book called The World Upside Down. A, a theology of the book of Acts. A political theology of the book of Acts. And uh, what got my attention is the guy who wrote the book's name is Cavan Rowe who I believe taught Austin, is that right? Taught Austin, he looks like Robert Redford, he's the most handsome professor in America. He, uh, <laughs> he went to Wake Forest and he was a good friend of uh, Rob Warfield, he's a friend of mine. So this guy, Kevin Rowe, has a lot of connections with Salem Presbyterian Church. And he wrote this book um, called World Upside Down. And what he says, if, if you look really carefully at what Luke is doing, who's the, gospel, uh, the writer of the book of Acts, um, he's showing that church as, as submitting to Rome and being model citizens of Rome. So Luke is very careful to point out that the Christians are model citizens of Rome. They're not revolutionaries. They're not trying to overturn the government. They're not anarchists. But they are submitting to Rome in such a way as to subvert the idols of Rome and to subvert the gods of Rome. And so the reason that... Um, that Luke is showing the church engaging as, as really good citizens of Rome is in order to say, uh, we do that to undermine the power of Caesar and to lift up the power of Christ and to show a new, a new way to live, a new politics. And this is one quote from the book. He says, um, the church is shown to be not competing with the Roman state, but witnessing to God's apocalypse. A life counter to the life patterns of the Greco-Roman world. And an, an apocalypse is like a sudden unveiling of, of a new reality. And, um, and that's what happens at this meal. Is it's like a, a lightning strike from heaven. A new way of living, a new way of using power, a new way of doing politics. Um, this is the apocalypse of God that is counter to the life patterns of the empire that we live in. Um, when the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest and who was going to sit at his right hand and who was going to sit at his left hand, uh, Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles, the way they operate is their, is their rulers, and the higher you get up among the Gentiles, they try, to, they try to dominate people below them. They try to use power to control people below them. They try to exercise authority over people below them. But he said, it is not to be so among you. He says, in my kingdom... Um, the greatest of all is the servant of all. And he said, even the Son of Man did not come to this earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so on the night he was betrayed...